Hi, guys. Welcome back to Mostly Balanced with Mia and Carly. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're excited to share this episode with you today. It's very similar to last week, another sex and intimacy episode. Yeah, similar topics, but I feel like a completely different perspective and some different roads that we went down with Natasha. So we have Natasha Miller, who is the founder of Wonderlust, which is a card game that we've talked about before. It's an intimacy deck. We met Natasha back in February. And we had been talking about this like ever since. So this has been like nine months in the making that we recorded with her. But we met her at an event we went to that I guess she hosted. She was one of the panelists there. And it was all about conversations to have around sex and how to make it a more mm-hmm. approachable topic. At least that's like what I took away from it. And there were so many great panelists. There was Kate Balestri, who was a former guest on the podcast and a lot of experts in the space. And Natasha, we could just tell from that event that she was so well-spoken. She's so knowledgeable and just very relatable in terms of these topics. So I really, really liked recording with her. We also recorded it in person, which was really fun. Yes, that was really fun. And yes, her card game She gave us a little sample at that event. We all got, we walked away with swag bags and honestly, they were the best items ever. (laughs) Yes. There was like um, a vibrator, lube, a brownie, tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We somehow got like the super swag bag, which had like tequila. I remember I went straight to Sean's afterwards and I had like this amazing bag full of like all these treats. Yeah. And her cards. So Natasha founded a conversation card games around sex. So we've obviously played our actually curious game on here and our where should we begin card game by Esther Perel, which are all amazing card games to play with groups of friends or dinner parties or your relationship or even journal because they're just hit on such a wide range of topics. But Natasha's card game is perfect to play or bring up topics with a partner because they're all intimacy and sex related. So you'll hear in the episode how she recommends and when she recommends using them with a new partner. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. And I think we just got like a sampling of them in our in our bag. Like it wasn't the mm-hmm. full deck, but there's some that are very basic and straightforward that you can bring up early on. I mean, you can bring them up at any time, but there's like, how important do you think sex is to a relationship? What's a must for you during foreplay? What are your favorite sex positions? But then there's a little bit more edgy ones. Like, <laughs> would you like to play around with bondage? Like, would you be open to swinging or group sex? Like these are things that people might be thinking about, but they're afraid to bring up to their partner. So when you bring a deck like this into the conversation. Natasha says like, it's like the cards asking the question and not you. So it's just a fun way to literally spice things up or just kind of like make the conversation a little bit more attainable. Yeah. And we talk about all, we talk about intimacy in all stages of your relationship. So everything from when to start talking about sex or your preferences with someone new that you might've just met or gone on a few dates with, but also talked about how intimacy and sex drives ebb and flow throughout long-term relationships and things change and you might at any point want to try something different. How do you have that conversation? So a great perspective and the cards are a great tool for all of that. Yeah. And we also talked about stuff that's like not not even sex related, but just intimacy in general and how to become closer with your partner and your relationship and how to maintain that closeness. Like Mia said, through different stages, we talked specifically about moving in together. Natasha gave us both such a good tip that Mia already started doing with the planning. Mm -hmm. We talked about this, I think, (laughs) on here planning two dates per month, like you split it up with your partner and one of you plans a date and the other one plans a date, you kind of put them on the calendar and then take ownership. Yes. And we've gotten a lot of questions about people who are like dating someone who's not a planner or they feel like they're not a planner. And how do you like encourage someone to plan more dates? This is such an easy way to do that. 
It's amazing. And yes, I already did it at, I've talked about this before. Dan is such a planner in my relationship. Like he usually takes the lead on making reservations or fun things for us to do. So I took the initiative and I told him about our new little plan that we would each have a date to plan per month. And I planned mine. We went to Bond Street for sushi. And then we went to a comedy show at the stand. And we just had so much fun. It was the best night ever. And yeah, my my plan to date for the month is done. So waiting on dance. Is dance on the calendar? <laughs> well, we had a lot of we have a lot of traveling coming up. So I was just in California for the weekend. Honestly, that was all for Dan's birthday. So another planned date by me. <laughs> but it was so fun. Well, I have not done it yet, but I definitely plan on it. And I I needed to close the loop on a product rec that I gave last or a couple of weeks ago before I mm. even tried it. I was saying that I was trying a new scalp scrub because I was like, I had written oh, an yes. article. Basically what had happened is I had written an article about the scalp scrub. Not every article that I write about products is something that I've tried. Sometimes it's just like, here's a great sale on a product that like reviewers say is really good. And so I was writing this article and as I'm reading all these reviews and get using them for the article, I was literally just like being sold on this scrub. And I was like, I need this. And the whole premise was kind of like when you're washing your hair, you shouldn't just be like washing your scalp with like the same thing you wash your hair with because your scalp is like what has different needs than the hair itself. And your scalp is like an extension of your skin. So if you're not caring for your scalp, it's basically like as if you weren't caring for your skin. So that's my little PSA on why it's important. But so that sold me and I was like, wow, I definitely neglect my scalp. Like I kind of just like scrub up my shampoo and that's it. I've never used a scalp scrub before or a mask. Mm -hmm. So this scrub is from the brand Coco and Eve. I got it when it was 50% off. It's not 50% off anymore, but they have sales a lot. So you could wait for a sale or right now it's, I think it's only like $29 as is. So it's not that bad and it lasts for a long time. So it's made with peppermint coconut oil and also has like it's infused with caffeine so basically Mm. the coconut oil is like to moisturize your scalp the peppermint is to soothe and then the caffeine is actually to like inspire hair growth and like energize your scalp and re-energize all the cells in your skin or whatever not obviously not like a hair (laughs) expert but (laughs) honestly it's amazing I even texted Mia after I tried it because first of all it just like feels I didn't really know that my scalp was irritated. Like I never had like flakiness or dryness, but it just, as soon as I used this, it felt like the word soothing is like the only thing I can use to describe it. Like it literally felt like so refreshed and the peppermint was like cooling. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like what like a calm, soothed, like healthy scalp feels like. And then, (laughs) no, it's literally insane. And then, so you use it, just scrub it in for like literally 20 seconds and that's it before your shampoo in the shower. And then you wash your hair and I could tell like immediately my shampoo like foamed up more than it usually does. It like washed out completely. It didn't feel like there was any buildup or residue left behind. My hair just felt so clean. And I feel like it like hadn't felt like that actually clean in a while. Like that feeling that you get after you go to like get your hair cut and it feels like kind of like fresh Mm -hmm. and revived. And then it like looked amazing after I blew it out and it dried that day. I was like, oh, wow, it's like full, thick, shiny. And then I now I've been using it like twice a week since then. And it's incredible. So I highly am. That's amazing. Yes. I missed the boat also on the sale. So I think I need to just (laughs) get it. Yeah. I switched my shampoo lately, by the way, to the Way shampoo, the Mm O-U-A-I. I love it because I feel like I've been using the same shampoo forever. And I feel like because of this too, I need a scalp scrub because I always felt (laughs) like my hair just never was getting clean. And I'm like, maybe it's because one... 
I haven't changed my shampoo in probably like 10 years. And Mm -hmm. I decided to just give this other shampoo a try. Olivia recommended it to me. You know, I get lots of product recs from Olivia and (laughs) I've been using it and it feels great. But like I still do crave that very clean hair feeling, which I think I need the mask for or the scrub. Yeah. And the the thing about the scrub too, is it's not like a harsh scrub. So that kind of weirded me out. I was like, I don't really want to like exfoliate my scalp, like with this rough scrub, but it's like very gentle. It's just like this gentle exfoliation and it's amazing. So I'll link it in the show notes. It's really, really good. Unfortunately, we don't have like a discount code or anything, but like I said, they do have sales a lot. And at $29, I think this thing is going to last me at least for a few months because you just use like a tiny bit. So highly recommend. Let us know if you try it. I think we're going to keep this intro pretty short today because we have a full episode with Natasha and we want to get right into it. So hopefully you guys like it. Let us know what you think and check out the show details to find more information about Natasha. Yes, thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week. Welcome back. We're so excited to be here with our guest today. We've been looking forward to this conversation for so long. We're joined by Natasha Miller. She is a sexologist and the CEO and founder of Wonderlust, an intimacy card game to keep things exciting in your relationship. Yes. Welcome in person, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited for this. Can you start by telling everybody a little bit more about you? So we like to start with where you're from, where you live now, and then just how you got into your line of work. Okay. So I'm originally from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I lived half of my life in the U.S., hence the lack of accent. (laughs) And I currently live in New York. Um, I used to work in finance. And just felt really unfulfilled and wanted to become an entrepreneur and test things out. I had listened to Guy Raz's How I Built This podcast for so many years and was just really inspired. So I was in Sao Paulo at the time when I left finance, moved back to the city because I went to college here. I already had a network. And I started another wellness company that, long story short, faced a lot of headwinds with COVID. We launched the month before. Mm. So uh, a year and a half later, I was really reflecting on what the next step was going to be, decided to leave the company. And I realized with the rebranding of the sexual wellness space since around 2018, 2019, especially with the mods and the dames of the world, I saw this opportunity to finally do something that I've always really loved. I've always been curious about talking about sex and relationships. And that's mainly because my mom has always been so open with me about it and educated me more as a means to make sure that I could protect myself as opposed to pleasure, right? Which is generally how we receive education. So I decided that I wanted to jump into the space and start Wonderlust. I love that. Well, we were introduced to you because we went to an event that you hosted, which was now back in February. Yeah. And it really focused around conversations we have about sex and just right. bringing more education to that topic. You're right. so lucky, like you said, that your mm-hmm. mom was really open about it. But a lot of people don't have that experience, obviously. So yeah. it's something that we get questions about a lot from our listeners is how to even talk about sex, whether that's even like with your friends, with like your if it is with like your mom or if it is with your partner. 
So that's one of the main things we want to talk about today is in a new relationship specifically, is it ever too soon to start talking about sex? Do you wait until you're actually having sex with the person? Like, how do you bridge those conversations early on? So I think the earlier on, the better. Um, it depends on how quickly you move, of course, but for some people that can be on the first date, you bring up small things of what you like and what you don't like, depending on how well that date is going. Some people prefer to wait, but we've had, so with Wonderlust, our first product is the intimacy card deck to help people talk about sex. And we've had it, we created it with long-term couples in mind, but we've had, People play it on second or third dates and say that it led to like incredible sex and they really loved it precisely because you're asking the questions that you don't normally ask and you can be a little embarrassed to ask. Mm -hmm. But because you've communicated, the person knows what you like more. And so that helps guide them because nobody's a mind reader. And so I think there's a huge frustration where we've been unfortunately taught that sex should be effortless and spontaneous and easy, mm. um, but it's the most complicated thing that we will do as humans. There's a specific term for it, which is an eco biopsychosocial phenomenon, because it really incorporates all of these different aspects of ourselves into this act. And so when we do a disservice to people, when we think that it should be really that simple and, so, and there is a lot for you to learn about yourself and then learning how to communicate that to your partner. Right. So honestly, and it can, you can just start with really small things where it's, you know, I, this is what's important for me during foreplay. I like to be kissed here or like that. You know, I, I like it softer. I like it rougher. You don't need to get into like super specific things. Maybe jumping into exactly how you like oral sex can be too advanced early on. Mm -hmm. But I think guiding your partner into the, the things that you enjoy more generally, you know, are important. Or even like in the beginning when you try a certain position that you usually just don't like, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's important to voice that that. Yeah, for sure. And I think what you mentioned earlier of just you growing up when your mom is talking to you about this, but more from an education perspective, I think it's ingrained in so many of us that like sex is effortless. Like you said, sex is spontaneous, necessary, yeah. necessary for the health of a relationship and right. intimacy. Right. And you hear all of that about how frequently should you be having sex in a relationship, but you don't hear so much of like women talking about sex for pleasure for themselves. And that's why they get so, I think, insecure about asking or faking orgasms, not even telling their partner what they want because it, the man's pleasure tends to come first. And that's right. kind of how we've like historically talked about this. So I do love the card game as a tangible way to kind of bring these topics up that's a little less aggressive or forcing a conversation too soon. It's such a playful way to just bring something up in those early stages of dating when the passion's there and yeah. you're getting to know each other. Yeah. I mean, one thing that really helps is that the card asks the question, not you. Right. Also, often we don't even know where to begin, how to bring it up, what questions to ask. And so, you know, the cards also have the follow up questions where it's just not like, you know, what's your sexual fantasy, but like, what are the ones that turn you on the most? Are there any that you actually want to make come true? Um, because not all of them we actually do want to 
bring them into our lives. You know, sometimes we just want to keep them in our heads. Yeah, I, I do have a question, though. When bringing it up on early dates, are you seeing more success when the female in a heterosexual relationship, the females bringing it up? Because I'm curious about on early dates, like if it would be a turnoff, if so early a guy is asking those questions or making comments or flirtatiously bringing up sex. Like giving the wrong impression of their intent. So I've seen cases where the guy introduces the deck and it's worked Mm -hmm. really well. But I've also seen cases where when the woman introduces the deck, I think especially like men usually are not used to the woman introducing it. So it's even more of a turn on. But like I've seen cases where with men it's worked. I think it's just one of those things where maybe if there's a card that is brought up that like you you feel like it's too soon, you can just place it to the side. But like in general, if you I I I would think that for a woman, if a guy is being very respectful of the situation, like, you know, what is it that you like and how can I pleasure you and, you know, how can I make this better for you? Because I want you to also enjoy like that's pretty hot. And we don't generally hear that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so I, I but I do think that there is like it really depends on the delivery yeah. because it, it can get sleazy. Yeah, I agree. Because if a guy starts talking about sex early on, some people might just think, oh, they only want sex. But it also could be a really intentional way of learning what you like, what you don't like and making that sex better. Because one of those other misconceptions is that like it's going to be good the first time you have sex with someone new. And that's why communication is so important, because sometimes it's not. But I think that's something that you can definitely work on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you have these conversations about sex with somebody new, what do you think about having those conversations like after like when you're laying in bed right after you have sex? Is that like a good or a bad time to bring up like, oh, I really liked X, Y, Z or I didn't like this or I wish we would do more of this? Yeah. So I'm personally pro having this conversation in the bedroom um, post sex when you have all these feel good hormones going on and you know, you're you're lying in bed, like talking. I think it's just like you're obviously not going to give this really brash feedback about something that you didn't like. I think it's just a really nice time for you to be like, hey, I really enjoyed this. And next time I would like to try that. Mm -hmm. It's and and it can be like a softer introduction into the things that you want to try differently. And for example, you know, let's say you tried anal and it was really uncomfortable for you. And that's just not something that you want to explore. Like once you're done having sex and you're like lying there, assuming that it didn't, you know, it wasn't like a catastrophe. You you were able to (laughs) try different things and it, you know, it was, it was fine. Like you'll have a conversation like, Hey, I know we, we were trying that, but I don't feel comfortable doing that at least right now or for some time, like, can we let's explore other things. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think it's just, it's, it's all about you're, you're keeping it light, but you're also being assertive, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's how you're going to feel most comfortable. If you'd rather bring it up the next day when you're feeling like you've thought about it and you know what you want to say and you're feeling confident, great. But I too think it's always been easier for me to kind of say things in the moment and like, yeah, Mm. when the situation's happening to say things, express what I like, express what I don't like. Because everyone's in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can also bring things up when, you know, you're talking about this. If you have already an open line of communication, I feel like a lot of couples, especially early on, aren't like sitting at the breakfast table talking about sex. Like most of those conversations are coming up in the natural moment. And I think what holds people back is maybe fear or just shame or just like yes. feeling a little embarrassed. But I think yes. you just get the words out. 
you're right there in the moment. We're both are in this together. So I think it it can be a really great time to talk about it. Yeah, I think it's important not to lose the opportunity, especially I think, you know, women, we've been brought up to be really nice and agreeable and place other people's priorities ahead of ours. And then with that comes also making sure that like the men are pleasured in bed before we are. So often what happens is just in general in life, we have a really hard time finding our voice. And then that Mm -hmm. just becomes extrapolated with the taboo that we face with sex and feeling like we don't deserve that pleasure. And I mean, how often this has happened to me so much where in past relationships, I just felt like I was taking too long to come. And so I would just be like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And, Mm. you know, you get too much in your head about that. So especially for women to voice that it can be really tough. And so if you can find these like micro opportunities to slowly find confidence in your voice with with it can be small feedback, Mm -hmm. but it's really important because if you don't share that in the beginning, especially in the beginning when we want to make sure that the guy is like happy with us as well, like whether we want to or not, that does become subconscious. And when we're really excited about the person that we're dating. Right. But if we start faking the orgasms or saying that we're OK with certain things that happen in bed when we're really not like you're already establishing Uh, an unstable foundation for your sex life, right? Because imagine if they did that to you and then years down the road, you're like, well, that thing that you always did that you thought was turning me on, I actually hate, right? right? And that will come up in a moment of resentment Mm -hmm. and and fight. And that's, it it also feels very upsetting for the person that's listening to this, right? Yeah. So, So it's tough. Men also deal with this inability to express themselves because on the other hand, they've been given the permission to express their sexuality, but they also haven't been given the space to be vulnerable, right? They need to be tough and they need to provide right. and all of that. So it's hard for them to be vulnerable about their sexual problems or insecurities. And it's also hard because then they feel like they need to perform all the time, right? And they need to have it up and hard. And porn tends to also create this entire misconception of like how men should perform in bed and how women receive pleasure. So, so it really like we're talking about talking about sex is is really one of the most complicated parts of a relationship, because also what you had mentioned before, like longer term, what happens is emotional fusion. We have a huge fear of setting our partners, feeling shame and losing mm-hmm. them. And so then it's easier for mm-hmm. us to just throw this under the rug and avoid it completely, which generates more anxiety and more problems. There's definitely a huge case to be made for bringing it up early on, because like you said, I've been in that situation where then you kind of you're like in so deep because you've never had those conversations before or you've been worse, like pretending that you're liking everything. That's oh, my happening. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's as uncomfortable as it feels early on. It's so much worse when you're like years in yeah. and you've <laughs> never told them what you like and you're just on completely separate pages. And it translates to like all other areas of the relationship too. like if you can talk about this, you can probably talk about like pretty much anything with your partner. So it's just going to build healthy communication overall. And it's so important to talk about because I feel like sex, you tie so much of your own self-worth to 
your trust in your relationship, your insecurities in your relationship. Yes. I think if your partner say like can't get it up or is too tired to have sex at night, I know I've in the past and I think so many other women will take that. It'll like it stings and you you then are like, well, why? Yeah. Do they not like me anymore? Are they not attracted to me anymore? And I think so many other emotions are like tied up in your sexual intimacy. Yes. But yes. if my husband was like, I don't want to go to the movies tonight. I'm too tired. I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Just a preference. You're not in the mood. But if it's sex, it's like your world feels like it's tumbling down. And why? Why is it because it's something we don't really talk about? It's, it's this thing we expect to always be perfect. And when it's not, it kind of shatters a lot of your confidence and ideals about the relationship. Yeah. I mean, we want to, as humans, like we want to feel connected and we want to feel desired. Right. And so then when we get rejected, especially sexually with somebody that we love so much, like it, it does sting, mm. but it really is important for you to have that open line of communication, non-judgmentally, where when your partner rejects you and says, listen, like I'm not in the headspace for this, it's to understand like, okay, what is required for you to be in the mood? Like when you're stressed, is it really a mood killer for you? Is it because the bedroom is unorganized or the, the kids are in the house? Like there's so many different factors. And I think that's something that I hear a lot from people who, who deal with a lot of the rejection with their partners, whether it's men or women. Uh, generally, there tends to be one partner that has um, a leg up on deciding when sex is going to take place. Yeah. And one thing that I notice is they're complaining and they're like, well, my partner is also always pointing fingers at me. And, and it seems like our conversations are just not moving forward and we're just fighting about this subject. But people also just have a really hard time sitting down and having mm -hmm. an honest conversation of like, yeah. this is what's not working for me sexually. And there are probably other factors in the relationship, right? Like whether it's household chores, emotional labor, like different things that you feel like you're carrying and that are just placing this burden and resentment that then translates into you just not being in the mood, right? Like I've extrapolated that a little bit further from what you were right. talking about specifically, but. And it could, it totally could be that. And many times I think it is, but even like Carly and I talk about this, like the transition from going from dating to moving in. Yeah. Or even yeah. just like learning about each other's preferences for sex. Like maybe one person, it's they feel like completely fulfilled and like they're having so much sex if it's three times a week. But someone else expects and wants and always has had and feels love. Right. And it's <laughs> yeah. right. So it's there's like so many like, yeah, totally resentment. Like one wants it in the morning. The other one wants it yes. at night. You have to like have all those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> But that's why I love what you said about the cards asking the question instead of you asking the question, because that can be said for yeah. any phase of the relationship. Yes. Even if you've been together for years, you can use the cards and it just brings up a lot of these topics that feel uncomfortable to bring up. Yeah, I saw you post on Instagram. I just saw this and it was about how to have more intimacy during sex. So yeah. I'd love to hear your take on yeah. that and some advice that you might have for that. So I think it's important, again, like starting with the communication, nobody's a mind reader. So it's making sure that you're constantly telling your partner what it is that you want and what's not working for you. And we're humans. We evolve over time. Like we, we, we change our tastes change. So it's also just 
having that open line of communication to let them know, like, I want to try something new. This came up. Maybe you saw something in porn. Maybe you read it somewhere like so many, you know, so it, it it's important for you to keep that opportunity open to explore new things and not like turning around to your partner, you know, 10 years down the road and be like, you never did that before. Where'd you get this? You know, yeah, that's like my first thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's important. Again, it's important to be non-judgmental and playful because that's something about sex that we have totally forgotten about like it's it's an adult's play and when we were kids we had all this imagination and you know we were doing it without judgment and then suddenly we come to sex with something that is like so serious and we should automatically know exactly what to do and how to be great at it and it has all of these rules and we can't make certain like noises or whatever and and that's not what it's about right it really is a moment of like connection and play and love um and a power dynamics, right? However, however way feels good for you. Uh, so I think it's number one, like just making sure that you bring in that ability to try new things as, as you wish. Mm -hmm. I also think that it's important for you to plan to try these new things because when you, when you do it spontaneously, it can be great, but when you want to try something new, Let's say you want to blindfold each other and maybe have a feather like move around in your body to play around with sensation or try a wax candle or ice, you know, or a lingerie even. I mean, there's so many opportunities for you to explore, but you're probably not going to bring that in when it's spontaneous. And so when you plan it, it provides that extra moment of thoughtfulness that you wouldn't have otherwise. And that's, I think, scheduled intimacy or scheduled sex tends to be really controversial on social media, but that's only because we have this idea that sex should be spontaneous, right? And it doesn't mean that when you schedule it, it's a time that like, you know, you need to show up with a heart on or you need to have the desire to have sex, but it's an opportunity to connect and to be together, right? And, and then you'll take that time to what we traditionally call foreplay to explore each other. And that may or may not lead to penetration, which is unfortunate that that's how we tend to associate sex to, at least for heterosexual couples. But it's it's an opportunity for you to connect like that's the basis of it. So I think that also provides for more intimacy in sex during sex. It's important for you to check in with your partner. Right. And, and ask them, like, does this feel good? Are you know, are you enjoying it? What else would you like? And I think that Sometimes we assume that we know our partners really well and and we forget to check in. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's also another important point. Another thing that I mention is we do all sorts of exercises for our body, but we don't tend to practice kegels, mm -hmm. which are the pelvic floor muscles. And it, it, I mean, you can start small and this is, you know, whether you have a penis or a vulva, it's about contracting as if you were to hold in your pee and you can like count to three and let go. Um, and you can do this, um, like 10 reps, three times a day, build it up from there. But that actually, it helps for you to have stronger orgasms. And it also provides more pleasure during penetration. So that's something that regardless of gender that you can experiment with, and it does add more intensity to your, your sex life. Yeah. Those are great tips. Love that. And 
I love that the cards are like you talk about sex and adulthood as play and the cards are actually a really fun way to bring that in and make it easier and a more tangible way to kind of point to the things that you want to try. But what if you're in like, how would you start introducing new things? Maybe in your later 30s, you start learning more about sexual wellness and like opening up your world to toys and things like your deck of cards and then wanting to bring it into a relationship, which maybe you've had kind of the same sex life for so long. Like, how would you actually bring up some of those conversations with your partner in a way that, like you said before, it's not like, where did this come from? Why all of a sudden? So yeah, like introducing something new in a in a way that's not going to freak out your partner. How would you actually bring it up? So it depends. Again, there's a little bit of play with that as well for you to understand how your partner reacts to things. Some people are more conservative than others. Uh, I think something that can be really useful is find an article that you really enjoy, maybe something that might be in a tone that you think your partner would be willing to read and, you know, send it to them and be like, hey, I just read this really great article about X, Y, Z. And like, let's talk about it you know, later on, or I'd like to explore this. What do you think? You know, I think that's like a really smooth and easy way. There's also like a ton of different sexual wellness focused series on TV. And so whether it's just an episode or you want to watch the whole series, like Goop Sex Love is one that I watched with my partner and it opened our minds and we really loved it. So I think that can also be just it's like it's so easy for you. It it really takes it off your back where you're like, hey, like mm-hmm. this is on TV. Like this isn't something that I produced and went after and I'm like putting into bed. It's just like, let's 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 check this out and see what we think. Right. Yeah. Found them a podcast, a podcast as well. Exactly. <laughs> I heard this on a podcast or like yeah. my favorite podcast was talking about X, Y, Z. It's just like a great way to bring up a conversation that you're nervous to bring up on your own. Exactly. Exactly. Is there research behind or do you have any experience in women needing more of an emotional connection before having sex or even sex causing more of an emotional connection for women than it does for men? Yeah. So usually women require greater emotional connection, but because of the way that we've been conditioned, not because we're biologically structured that way. But curiously enough, research has shown that once a woman is in a committed long-term relationship, she actually seeks more pleasure and more excitement and eroticism. And the man actually seeks more validation and more of that emotional connection, especially because for men, the way that they tend to experience intimacy is through sex again, because that's how they've been conditioned. Right. And with women, it's, it's so much wider than that. Right. Our, Our plate is much richer. We, we seek that connection emotionally primarily. So sex ends up becoming the space of adventure and exploration if we permit ourselves to get there. But has that been correlated with cheating? Like, does that cause women to cheat if they're looking for more adventure? Yes. But men as well. Yeah. And like the number one thing people tend to hear when people tend to express when they cheat is because it helps them feel alive. 
right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you love your partner less. And I know that this is a really controversial and triggering topic, but you know, people that are happy in their relationships cheat, people that are upset with something, feel like there's something missing, also cheat, right? Like the range of decisions that that lead to infidelity are huge. Yeah. Well, even what you just said about a man like needing to feel more of the validation and even when we talked about things that can come up in your marriage and the ebbs and flows in a relationship that kind of cause a little more like stress and sex becomes on the back burner or there's more feelings attached or you're trying to get pregnant or you have kids like there's so much else going on in your relationship. And when there's a little turmoil there, it's like makes sense as to why people would like turn away for something outside of this like real life situation where sex is like kind of lost its passion or lost yeah. its excitement to go elsewhere. And but I mean, e- even like it doesn't even need to lead to infidelity. It's just honestly having a sexless marriage. Right. And that's mm-hmm. that's all right. too common today, especially I think it's also just because now we have so much more stress in our lives with technology. We're working more. And also statistics, I think, reflect a greater reality than they did in like former generations. But Esther Perel mentions this in her book that the problem isn't that women don't have high libido or they're not sexual beings. We've been conditioned to think that way. But the truth is that For the most part, women tend to get more bored in monogamy more easily than men. And it's just because they're not having the sex that they would like to have. But but most women just don't because we don't give ourselves the permission to explore. We we don't even give ourselves the permission to understand that we need to seek a different kind of sex and that we deserve Mm -hmm. a different kind of stimulation. Right. And uh, so the sex script that is very common in heterosexual couples is uh, foreplay will generally consist of some kissing, maybe some oral, and then you'll go straight to penetration. And I was listening to this podcast recently where an intimacy coach was mentioning that like that is the equivalent of you going down one of those water slides without the water. Yeah. And it's just like it's it can be painful. It can be just really boring. And, you know, and so of course, we then end up avoiding intimacy because we're it's so predictable and and that's not what we want. And we forget to bring in all of the seduction and setting the mood and everything else that that at least we saw it in the beginning of a relationship. Yeah, definitely. I could see that. Do you think it's important for people to continue exploring with their selves with self-pleasure, like even when they're in a relationship? Yes, for sure. And what do you think like if you live with a partner, how, do you like talk about that? What's like a way to bring that up with a partner? There's this idea that like, you know, we should fulfill all of our partner's needs, right? Regardless of whether it's a man or yeah. a woman. Yeah. And that's not true. Like it, it we all have different needs. You don't want to go to sleep or eat the same time that your partner does all the time. So You're not always going to want to have sex or have an orgasm at the same time that your partner wants to. And so it's easier. Maybe it's in the middle of the day and you're stressed and like you have a vibrator, you go to the bathroom in a minute, you're out and you're good. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's or maybe it's been a really busy week and you want to get it out of your system. I talk about this very openly with my partner and honestly, for me, it's it's almost like a, a funny thing where we're like, you know, 
just just masturbated like and and it's almost like a hot thing that we share with each other that might not resonate with everybody but i think the only issue is when masturbation becomes a way for you or your partner to avoid intimacy because it's easier and it's Mm. faster or you know whatever whatever relationship that you have exactly Yeah. yeah yeah and like i understand people have different needs but it, it, I would say the only problem is when it does get in the way of you seeking intimacy with your partner. Mm-hmm. Right. Is this like scientifically proven that when you're anxious or stressed, you like feel the need to masturbate? <laughs> so <laughs> we've talked about this before, Carly. <laughs> yeah. So um, we tend to associate it as a release. And yeah, but it's not it's not something that we actually need, right? Like it's just something that we have come to associate because of all of the hormones that are released. It does in fact calm you. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not actually something that, that you need. And that's actually a big problem that happens with men who have to masturbate, you know, multiple times a day. And they're like, I'm so anxious. Like I have to go to the bath. And it's like, that's actually just how you've seen as uh, how you've associated the release of your anxiety mm. with masturbation, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's how you should resolve the issue, right? I feel like it's like like stress eating. It's something that you know, like in the moment, it's going to make mm-hmm. you feel good. So it's like, oh, I'm stressed. I should go masturbate. Yes, yeah, like, exactly. It might not be necessarily what you need in that moment. Yeah, <laughs> to each their own release. Right. But there is a limit of when that becomes obsessive. Right. I think for most women, um, it we still don't have the same relationship to it as men tend to. And so I am more in favor of women doing it more often because I feel like we just we don't. And then, you know, you see that bad mood happening and it's like probably would be in a better mood if you just yeah took a few minutes and went to the bathroom, you know, yeah. but but we don't give ourselves right. that permission. Mm-hmm. We think it's really crude. I mean, we talked a little bit about how to bring obviously more intimacy into sex, but just in general with couples who, whether they are living together or just spending a lot of time together, one of the things that we've talked about recently is being in that sort of like roommate phase and how you avoid that. So do you mm-hmm. have any tips for that aside from what we've talked about with like trying new things in the bedroom and everything like that? Yeah. So that's very common because, again, going back to the emotional fusion that happens in a long term relationship, there's that loss of eroticism, there's stress. So there's a ton of different factors that boil into it. And again, we just have that fear of being judged and losing our partners. And I think it's really important for you to, if you haven't talked about sex in a while, it is like, hey, you know, I read recently or listened to a podcast that, you know, it's it's important to talk about sex and that like when you talk about sex with your partner and this is proven by studies, like it leads to more arousal, um, more novelty in sex, more connection, and it actually decreases pain for especially vulva owners who who tend to experience that. So, um, you know, do the check-in like, Hey, how have you been feeling about our sex life? And what would you like to do differently? And maybe explore again, I think going back to scheduling intimacy, especially for parents, 
putting that in the calendar and be like, this is our time together. We're going to give each other a massage or we're going to try something different or we're going to do a new non-sexual activity. Maybe you're going to, you know, do an art class. There's a happy medium here in the city, which is like a really cool spot for non-artists to practice art. And I went with my partner to do um, figure drawing. It was with an, a nude artist. Doesn't need to be nude. But like just doing a new activity like that is such a cool way to bring excitement non-sexually to your relationship. And I think that's another issue is that maybe your date nights are only going to consist of like an actual a dinner and try seeking new activities that you can do together. Yeah. Right. That's a very underrated tip. Yeah. And I've got caught in like the kind of annoyed that we're not doing more of those things, but like waiting for them to be the one to be like, oh, we're going to go do this new thing. And I feel like sometimes you have to just be like, listen, I think we have to do try more new things together or like I'm feeling like we're kind of stagnant, like just communicating like that because like yeah. no one can read your mind. And that's something that we talk about all the time on here. But then I've started to realize in my own relationship, too, where I catch myself. I'm like, this thing is bothering me that they're not doing, but I haven't even told them I want them to do it. So you have to like come out there and talk about it. Yeah, for sure. The, another tip that I really love is you know, you can schedule two surprise dates a month. And one of them, like you're the one that's going to organize it and surprise your partner. The other one, your partner is going to do it. And it really helps to motivate you to think outside the box and have that time to connect with each other. Right. I just, I think that like a lot of the ways for you to spice up your relationship are non-sexual. Mm -hmm. Right. Just like what we said so much affects your sex life that's not sexual in a negative way, like stress or resentment or all of these emotions you're also not communicating. So many things outside the bedroom like this will affect your relationship in a positive yeah. way. And I love the two date nights yeah. a month. You yeah. plan one, the other person plans the other. I think we should both do that. Yeah. And like <laughs> putting these on the calendar. It's just such a fun way to just get and do something yeah. new. And I think if you think about times you feel really intimate and close with your partner, it's often when you're traveling together, when you have done something really fun or new together, when you've talked about something you've never talked about before, even like laughing with them. Yeah. Yeah. All of yeah. this. That's why the honeymoon phase is in the beginning yeah. because everything's new. So introducing those new things throughout. Yeah. You have to put in the effort and like foreplay begins the last time you ended sex. Mm. And it's it's really how you treat I your partner. On, <laughs> yeah, it's and it's how you treat your partner on a day to day basis. And so are you cultivating space for that eroticism? And eroticism is is just like it's pleasure for pleasure's sake. Right. It's bringing the like sexy back into your dynamic. Mm -hmm. And it can be the small stuff of sending a text. Doesn't need to be a super spicy thing. It can just be like, hey, thinking about you. Can't wait to see you later on. It is about surprising them with like micro moments where maybe you'll even note or you're going to cook them something or you're going to organize the date, but it is putting in the effort for you to connect on a daily basis and like actually listening to your partner at the end of the day, like how was your day and being present? Cause that's the number one question that I, or one of the main questions that I get from people is like, I get home. I'm so exhausted. I feel like I don't have time to, to give any energy to my partner. And that's because we tend to give our best energy to our coworkers and the people that honestly matter mm. less in our lives. Yes. And 
It's important if you're able to schedule lunch dates instead of dinner dates. This is a tip that Esther Perel gives, because then if you can do that during the day, you're meeting each other still high energy. But it really it's important for you to make sure that you have this transition when you get home where maybe you're going to take a few moments to breathe be really thoughtful about this process, take a shower, whatever you need to like transition into this moment and be like, okay, like, you know, Hey, listen, I'm tired, but like, how was your day? Like, let's, you know, let's, let's connect and like, tell me something new that you learned today and how can I help you? Right. I think that's also like another underrated question. And, And for women, like studies have shown that when they are in a more equal partnership where men contribute more at home, they tend to have a higher libido in general, right? Yeah, this reminds me of uh, in the book that I'm reading, the woman was talking about how she was a mother and her entire day was giving love and care and attention to her child. And then when it came the end of the night and her husband like wanted to be intimate or like wanted to talk, she's like, I have no energy left. And right. Like some like funny comment about how being in relationships and giving your energy to someone else just prepares you for motherhood of giving your energy to a child. But it's just like that was so sad to me. And that relates so much to what you were just saying that especially parents, I think each of them having playing more of a role and the burden is not only on one person and really making an effort equally to make sure your relationship is still prioritized, even when you have a child or so many other responsibilities that might take away from that. Yeah. One thing that Esther says is that parenthood today has reached a level, an unprecedented level where people are so hyper focused on their kids and you feel like you're not a good mom if you're not giving your all and doing all of these activities and Mm. being super present in a way that like no other previous generation dealt with and that, you know, parents before were like, they're there, you know, they're providing the support, but they're also living their life. And so today it's so child centric that she believes. And I agree that it's going to be healthy for everybody if we learn how to pull away a little bit and give that space so that we can also cultivate that like eroticism and sensuality within ourselves and bring that connection with our, our partners. Because when I talk to moms that are like, listen, I'm just too tired and I have no time. And I'm like, but that's a choice that you're making. That's fine. If you're happy with that choice, that's what matters. Just understand that chances are your, your partner probably isn't happy with that choice. That can lead to a lot of stress long-term. And so if you want to make sure that you're cultivating, um, a healthy and fulfilling relationship in the long run, then it's important for you to put in that effort and see what can be adjusted in your life for you to make sure that that you stay connected. Yeah, I totally agree. Should we close with a couple of listener questions? Yeah, this is perfect for you. <laughs> Someone wrote in, how can I exercise affectionate physical touch more often without being sexual? So the Gottman Institute did this study with straight couples, 13 things that couples who have good sex do. One of them is making sure that you cuddle 20 minutes per day. Now that can be really intense for some people. It doesn't need to be that much, but like it's making sure that, you know, when you come home and you connect or when you leave in the morning, like you give them a hug and a kiss, maybe you'll take an extra few seconds for that kiss to last a little bit longer. I forgot where I read that, but like it's proven to, you know, actually spice things up a little bit more when you take that extra moment. And 
it, it really it's non-sexual in essence because you're doing this consistently. So it doesn't like it doesn't mean that it's going to lead to sex. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's the hugging and the kissing and it's holding hands like that's something that my partner and I do so much. We sit next to each other at the end of the day and like we hold each other's hands and, and we look at each other and we're like, you know, so tell me about your day and making sure that you're finding these moments to connect for sure. And if your partner likes massages, like normalize giving a massage, even if it's just a short one, when you touch each other consistently, that takes the sexuality out of it. Because a big issue that couples face is that uh, physical touch is only is only takes place when sex is initiated. And that actually leads to resentment for the person who's receiving that touch because they're like, you only touch me when you want to start sex. Like I, you know, yeah. you want to be yeah. touched more consistently. So it is like it is the the small kisses, the hugs, the holding hands. And, you know, whenever you feel like it, a massage or cuddling that normalizes the touch but still generates that connection. I love that advice. What do the comments call it when it's like, is it a bid? Something that you do? And if the other, could you explain that? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the bid is when your partner says something and if you acknowledge it or not. Right. Okay. So if you say, let's look, there's something outside of the window. Um, the way that you react really depicts how successful your relationship is going to be based on their studies. Mm -hmm. So the couples who generally are like, you know, oh, cool. Like, or listen, I'm doing something right now. I'll, I'll take a look in a second, but you're acknowledging your, your partner, mm -hmm. right? If you ignore, or if you tell them like, shut up, you know, or like, <laughs> it's like, you're bothering me or something like chances are that your relationship is not going to work out. So the couples who, to look towards each other and connect to, to each other's bids are the more successful ones. Yeah. Yeah. I just popped into my head when you said Gottman. I had just been hearing about that. Yeah. Okay. Another one that I think will be relevant for a lot of people. Is it normal to not always be physically attracted to your partner? Yes. Is it a red flag? I don't think it's a red. F I think we go through ebbs and flows in a relationship. And sometimes, I mean, in the beginning, you probably don't want to let go of them. You want to have sex X amount of times a day or a week, you know, and then later on in life, whether it's through stress and other priorities, like, you know, it's not doesn't mean that you're repulsed by your partner. I mean, if you're repulsed by your partner, then that's a different conversation. But if you're just not, you know, you don't look at your partner and you're like, I want to jump on them. Like, right. But I think also if you if you love your partner and you want to make this work and you've lost that attraction, it's important to understand why that loss came about. Like, was there a change in character? Was there a change in uh, physical weight? Right. Like things that have or something that's that's really changed in the relationship that has caused this to fundamentally shift for you. And when you specify that and you understand where that's coming from, it's that's how you can address it and move forwards towards, you know, a resolution and communicating that with your partner, which is a longer conversation. But I don't think that it's a, a red flag. I think that you, you can work towards a solution for sure. It's just understanding why that happened. And yeah. sometimes not even physical. Like when I'm physically not attracted to my partner, it's often when I'm like irritated mad. or mad yeah. about something like yeah, not even exactly. anything about how you look or anything like that. 
Yeah. This question also is relatable. I think someone not in a relationship, but asking about how normal it is or how long is normal to go without having sex when you're single. Oh, I wouldn't call anything normal. (laughs) I think it's what you feel comfortable with above everything else. And sometimes you just haven't met somebody that you want to be intimate with or you're in an environment where you haven't actually met anybody. And I think it's fine. Like what's important is the connection that you have with yourself. Again, if you feel comfortable, practice self-pleasure. That's such a great outlet. It's a great opportunity for you to get to know yourself better. And when you eventually meet a partner, you'll just feel more comfortable, you know, but it really, it really varies. And I I think it's better for you to go longer without than putting yourself in uncomfortable situations where you feel icky about it afterwards. Yeah. Use that time to figure out what you want. Yeah. Can you tell everybody where to find you? Sure. So I'm on TikTok and Instagram um, at Natasha B. Miller. Natasha spelled N-A-T-A-S-S-I-A. And there's also my company's um, Instagram. It's at Join Wonderlust with an O. Thank you so much. This was so great. Thank These you. These are the conversations we need to have so much more. Of. Yes. I'm really excited for this uh, this time in sexual wellness where more people are talking and there's more education and just normalizing something that we all experience and we have such a hard time expressing. I could not agree more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.